Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. The fifth lesson is Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3 and 7 through 10. I'll be reading in English. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Amen. Thank you, Isabella. Appreciate that. Good morning again. Welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. Thank you for being here with our special Lessons and Carols Day. It's, uh, it's amazing to um, realize that the good news comes to all and goes out to all as well. If you're new, if, if this is your first time here, a special welcome to you. We are a congregation that strives to be for those who are convinced for those who are unconvinced, everybody in between. Uh, hence, we have the Q&R, which we, we do after every service, so please text in questions if you have them. We've been going through, for our church, during this Advent season, a couple texts uh, from the Old Testament. We're doing that because Advent is the time, traditionally, for the church to look at uh, the coming of Jesus. Christmas, as we lead up, Advent's leading up to Christmas, And we are trying to see, what is Jesus about? Who is he going to be? And there's no better place to go for that than to the Old Testament that has all kinds of passages predicting and wondering and hoping in that. And so uh, today, what we're seeing in our text is that who is Jesus? What's he about? Is that he is an individual. He is a person. He is a man about joy. Our vision at our church is to live joy, to joyfully reflect God's love together in the city. And I think many people think they're about joy. I like to think I'm about joy, but we're really not. I think a lot of New Yorkers say they're about joy, and then they push that person out of the way. I think a lot of New Yorkers say they're about joy, and then they never smile. Um, and, and so the question is, is how, what does it mean to be about joy? Because we can't be about joy if we're always up and down. We can't be about joy... If, if uh, you know, it, it doesn't come our way, the fruit of the Spirit, 
what's supposed to be produced in our life, right? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's the second one. It's not an option. It's supposed to be there. And yet, I think what ends up happening often is that we confuse joy and happiness. I think in, in our, our dialect, those are kind of interchangeable words. But biblically, they're completely different. That happiness is, is um, circumstantial. Joy is not. That I think often what happens, we try to spend our lives getting joy, but actually all we get is, is uh, temporary happiness in the material. See, what's material? It's the jobs, it's the people, it's the places, it's the things. Those things can all be taken away from you, which is why they're, temp they're, they're temporal. They're, 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 that's what's happiness. Joy can't be taken away from you. And therefore, joy has to be rooted in things that, are, that is not necessarily material. And that's why you can have joy in sadness. That's why you can have joy in cancer. You can have joy in hurt and pain. You can have joy in all situations, loneliness, joblessness, because joy is an inner delight in your heart brought there despite the sufferings of the world. That's why in, in Acts chapter 8, what you find there is the early church goes out and it says they bring joy to other places. And they are about joy and they're for joy and people experience joy. And yet it's because they're in persecution, they're in suffering. That those things can actually be welded together. And I think as Americans, a lot of times we don't know how those two things can be held together at all. And yet, that's what we see here. Look at our text. Even in our text, verse 7, it says, We rejoice. We have everlasting joy. Real joy is everlasting. Verse 3, there's the oil of joy. There's the garment of praise. And so what I want to do today is I want to ask you all a very direct question. Do you have joy? Is there joy in your life? Is, when you think of Christianity, do you think of Christianity as a, as a faith of joy? I'm not sure, but we do. And so let's look at that. This text tells us how you can have it in three parts. Number one, we're going to look at who he is and what he's doing. Number two, uh, how he's going to do it. And then number three, how this actually creates joy. So number one, who he is and how's he going to do it. Sorry, who he is and what's he doing. Number two is how's he going to do it. And then number three, which is lastly, how, this joy, how we can actually have this joy created. So number one. Who is he? What is he about? Look at verse 1. In verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me. Now, the question you should ask yourself in the book of Isaiah is, who is speaking? Who is this person? There's great mystery, and, and, and lots and lots of individuals throughout all time were, have tried to say who this is. But if you go to Luke chapter 4, what you'll find there is, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus... He comes back home to Nazareth. He walks into the local synagogue. He asks for the Isaiah scroll. They take it down. They, un they unroll it. And he reads the exact passage that was just read by Isabella. And he reads this passage, and he rolls the scroll back up. And then if you look at Luke chapter 4, verse 20, it says this. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and said, Today this scripture is fulfilled. Now, I know they didn't have microphones back then, but if there was a, a mic drop, that's it. Because what he just did in that moment is he took all the mystery of who the, per the speaker of this text is supposed to be, and he's saying, that's me. I'm that person. And I would, I would argue for you and I to have joy today, 
for you to know who, what Jesus is about is you have to understand this passage too. Because there's lots of people that will say, oh, Jesus, he was a good teacher. He talked about love. Or, oh, Jesus, he was just a man. But then I think myth kind of came up and surrounded with all these other stories. But I would argue, a man who walks into a local synagogue and takes this passage and says, by the way, that passage is about me, is making a, f- a fantastic claim. Look at, let's go through, look at this verse 1. What's he claiming to be? He's saying, I've come to bring good news to the poor. Number two, I've come to bind up the brokenhearted. By the way, commentaries point out that you can't equate these two people. These are two distinct people groups that have been uh, repetitious for him to say the same. So he's actually saying that I've come both for the physically poor as well as for the emotionally and spiritually poor and broken. Number three, he comes to proclaim freedom to the captives. Number four, he's come to release from darkness prisoners. And by the way, this is all just in the first verse. That Jesus is is trying to say, guess what? I'm here for everybody. The physically poor and the mentally poor. I'm here for the physically captive, the sex trafficked, the modern day slavery, the the people that the world has, has forgotten physically, and I've come for the spiritually captive, the people who are in the darkest spaces. You want to know who's, the most, who's in the most spiritually dark spaces? It's people who don't know that they're in the most spiritually dark places. That's the thing about darkness is you, don't, you, you can't see anything. You can't see your own spiritual darkness. And so in one little verse, what uh, Bruce said earlier, the Christian faith says the core of Christianity is God who sees you. And Jesus is saying, I see everyone. And I think for some of you, at different times in your life, you feel unseen. At times you feel like, I, 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 nobody really knows what I'm going through. People don't know what, I, what I've had to struggle with. So he sees you in your darkest hour. He sees you when you don't want to be seen. He sees that which the world tries to unsee, both physical and emotional and spiritual. He sees it all. And there's some folks who feel like he's absent, feels like, you know, I don't see where he's at. This is saying he's present and he sees everyone. And then if you switch to verse 8, why has he seen everybody? He's seen everybody because he says, I love justice. I think there's been, just even recently, there's been a lot of people saying, oh, Jesus wasn't about justice. And here you have Jesus saying, that's about me. Verse 8, I love justice. You can't get away from that. Jesus wasn't just about the emotional and spiritual. He was here to fix the wrongs for justice. Now, some of you, Think that, you know, you care about justice maybe more than God does because you're here doing something about it. And this is saying, whatever amount of justice you care about, Jesus loves justice more. He loves righting the wrongs. He likes wiping the tears away. He loves to fix every hurt and enter into every wound. And I'll, I'll just say this. We live in a dividing world. We live in a world that is dividing people into groups uh, of who's in, who's out. And Jesus is saying, I've come for, for everybody, which means something very interesting. If you're a follower of Jesus, do you love everybody too? If you're a follower of Jesus, he's, if he loves everyone, then we're called to love everyone. So Jesus lo- loves the poor and the hurting. Do you love the poor and hurting? But Jesus loves the, the rich and the powerful. Do you love the rich and powerful? Jesus loves, the, uh, he, Jesus loves those who nobody else loves. He hates robbery. He hates wrongdoing. Do you? 
See, I would argue that we can't love Jesus unless we love the people that Jesus loves. I would argue that you can't say you love Jesus unless we love doing what Jesus loves to do. And that's who he is, and that's what he's about. In one verse, we've only went to the first verse, and the, I guess we looked, we apply the eighth verse too, of like what, that he loves justice, and we find who he is and what he has come to do. Now, number two, how? How's he going to do it? How's he going to bring the, this, in verse two, this uh, year of the Lord's favor? How's he going to bring healing and joy? And I think the key, as I was looking at this text over and over and over again in the past couple of weeks, I think the key is one word I'd never seen before in this way that's used a couple times that changes the whole passage is this word, instead. So let's walk, it shows up at least five times. Look at verse three. We are going to get a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning. It says that we are going to get praise instead of despair. Go to verse 7. Instead of shame, you get. Instead of despair and disgrace, you get. Now the word instead implies should, doesn't it? That you should, you deserve ashes and mourning and despair. And some of you push back and go, whoa, why do I deserve that? And I think the reason why writers puts this, this image of ashes, because ashes are the na- natural consequence of something burning. I w- I, growing up, I was an Eagle Scout. That makes me basically a pyromaniac because I like, I like making fires, and I like building fires. I make fires and see things burn. You throw whatever you can, and it burns up. The thing about burning uh, fires is that what's left is ash. It's the consumption. It's the product of the energy being uh, used to create the heat and the light, it comes out and the consequence is ash. And you say, well, where have I caused ash in my life? Well, take anything the Bible says that we should do. Forgive. What happens when we don't forgive? See, I, I would argue everybody in this room has had somebody that's been mean to them, that's done something to them. So everybody's had something happen to them by somebody else. And what happens if you don't forgive? When we don't forgive... When we say, you know what, I'm going to hold this, and I'm going to remember this, and I'm going to get them back, and I'm going to get after them, and you let that fester, you let that stay in your heart, you know what happens? For sometimes it manifests itself in physical breakdown. Some of us will get anxiety and sleepless nights and worry and doubt, physical breakdown, or maybe high blood pressure, maybe ulcers. As we are thinking and meditating and we can't let this thing go, there's breakdown. Because the lack of forgiveness consumes us like a fire and we're left with ash. Let me give you another one. Rest. Right? The Bible says you should rest. Rest on the, you know, the Sabbath rest. And you don't have to do that. Don't rest. See what happens. What happens when you don't rest? Well, there's physical breakdown. There's a breakdown of your relationships. As you fray, you lose purpose and meaning in life as you're overworking. As reality starts breaking down, you break down. So the Bible's filled with all these commands that I always found growing up as a kid. I always heard them like, oh, okay, I guess God just wants to make me, you know, not be happy. He's out there saying, do this and do that, do this. You don't have to do any of it. But what's hap- what happens is if you are made in a particular way, if you don't actually, uh, the commands in the Bible aren't there to be against you. They're actually showing you how to live a good, healthy life. So, for instance, the Bible says, have no other idols, other gods before me. Go, ha- go ahead and have other things more important than God. And they can't fulfill you. 
They, they will fail you, and that ends up being ash, and that's why there's mourning, and that's why there's despair, and that's why we're burnt out, and that's why what should come our way are these things. Now, I know most of you go, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I don't think I'm a bad person. I'm not out there doing crime. I'm not out there trying to hurt people. I'm just trying to live a good life. But I would argue, even that, lived unto yourself, you would see, and we have felt, and I think we can even, if we're honest with ourselves, we, can, we know there's those, the ashes produced in us and in the society because of it. Because a life lived without him brings ash. And what the text is saying here is amazingly, yes, we all know that's what we deserve. Yes, we all know that's what should come. And yet amazingly, instead, you get a crown, you get oil, you get a garment. That you are given these things, you get them, you don't earn them, you don't, you don't deserve them, they come your way. So go back to the original question, how is he bringing joy? And I, I think what this text is trying to get at is, he's not just going to put a crown on top of your ashes. It says, instead of your ashes, you get a crown. I, um, I grew up and I went to uh, the schools I went to, for whatever reason, I've always had a hard time with grammar. I never learned grammar. Um, you, can, you can ask my wife about that. Um, it's, it it's, uh, ain't not my fault that I uh, have that. Um, but so what I had to do was I had to go online and say, okay, how is this word instead functioning? Because I didn't really know how to do it myself. And this is, I, this is a quote from a grammar website. <laughs> instead, don't confuse instead with one, on the other hand. On the other hand, contrast two different things. Instead, replaces one thing with another. And I read that on the website and I was like, oh my gosh. The, this, what's happening here what the writer's trying to do is the word instead is a substitute word. This is replacement language, which means when Jesus quotes this whole passage, what he's trying to say is, I'm not here to take the ashes. I'm here to give you the crown. I'm not just here to take your mourning. I'm here to give you the oil of joy. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. A couple, couple weeks ago, I was, um, uh, you know, flipping through the, the streaming websites for, for movies, and I, um, I ran into uh, Blood Diamond, which is uh, Oscar-nominated. I, I think it won a bunch of Oscars a couple years ago. And Blood Diamond's about an a African man who, uh, his son is pulled away from him. He loses his son, and uh, he, the whole movie is his journey to try to find him. And he goes through, like, you know, like he's, he finally finds him, bloodied, half dead, himself. Like he, 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 so many near misses for his own life, and he finally sees his son. He finds him, but his boy, he's been so hurt by life. He's done so many bad things. He's been trained up and brainwashed. He's killed people. He's done terrible things. And his son's about to shoot another man. And he looks at his son. And what does he do to try to bring him back? This is what he says. Very slowly, he says, "Dia, what are you doing?" Dia, look at me. Look at me. What are you doing? You are Dia Vendi. Your mother loves you so much. She waits by the fire making plantains, red palm oil stew with your sister and the new baby. I am your father. 
who loves you, you will come home with me and you will be my son again. And what's profound by, about that is the way he gets his son back to try to reprogram him is he had to say, you are my son and you will be my son again. And he had to remind him of his status. He had to remind him of his, bat, of, of his um, place in the family, his mother, his sister, the new baby. And when he says this, he's trying to say, you are so loved, you are so cared for, you are so accepted that though you've done terrible things, you've done wrong things, I am bringing you back into the family. And it heals the wounds and it reprograms him and changes him. And that's precisely what is happening here. Look at verse 7 again. You don't get, just get ash in verse 7. You get a double portion. You get your inheritance. That is an allusion to your royalty. You and I, sons and daughters, kings and queens, princes and princesses, we've run away and the father has come back and said, I love you and you will be my son and you will be my daughter again. And it reprograms us. Jesus on the cross, the reason why he had nothing, right? He, he had nothing left on his body, not even the garment that he came in with because he gave all his garments away. Jesus Christ, the reason why we get joy, the oil of joy, is because he saw the cup of sorrow, the cup of wrath that he had to drink. The reason why you and I get the crown of beauty is because he got a crown of thorns over and over and over again. To apply this passage to himself, Jesus had to be saying, I'm going to take your sin and your shame and your guilt. And in the movie, the, uh, the man risked his life to bring his son back. But in Jesus, he had to give his life to get us back. And I guess I want to ask you, on this, on this Christmas season, do you live rescued lives? Do you live uh, out this word instead? Do you live out the reality of substitution. You should get, but, you, but this is what you really get. You deserve, but here's what you have. And until we see Jesus both taking our sin and giving us everything, I, I would argue you can't have joy. Last point. How does this create joy? How does, I think not only does it give you joy, but how does it create it? I think most, if most of our lives are not marked with joy, I bet you we could um, pull all of your friends Give your friends a, a, a poll and ask them, give me the f top five descriptors of who I am. And I bet you most of you, joy wouldn't be the thing that comes back. So how do you get it? Look, go down to verse 10, the last verse. The speaker, by the way, is no longer Jesus, no longer the uh, messianic character. I think it's actually Isaiah. And the speaker says this. Um, he says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. And what's beautiful about this is I think what happens is Isaiah, for 61 chapters, he's reporting about this messianic figure. And then he just sits back and goes, whoa. And all he has left is delight. And all he has left is rejoicing. He says, I will, the, the, the um, literal Hebrew is rejoicing, I will rejoice. The reason for that the reason for this, for everything that's come, becomes delight in him. It's the proper response. This is why after, you know, in every movie, the tearjerker, right, the very end, the little girl runs after the father, and it's, it, there's, there's, uh, there's tears everywhere. There's the, um, the movie, The Impossible. 
about the tsunami in 2004. There was a family in Thailand, and three boys in the family, uh, the mother and father, they were, the whole movie is about how the tsunami comes in and they lose each other. And the very end, it's like in slow motion for like five minutes, they're all running towards each other. But the tears are just flowing down because there's this reunitedness. When you see that, the only thing that happens is joy. It's the natural product of delight in your life that spills out. It's the secret. Here's the secret about getting joy. Guess what? You can't get it. It has to be developed in you. It has to be received. It has to be created. You always accept it. So instead of trusting ashes, you accept it. Now, how do you accept it? It's always trust. The biblical concept of faith is just trust. And trust is empty, with your empty hands saying, I receive. I will take. I will get. And joy and praise will seep out. And I think in verse 10, I think there's two steps to, to gain this joy. Number, The first step is delighting in the Lord. Of course, delighting means trusting. I would argue trust is the basis for all relationship. You can't have delight in the Lord if you don't trust the Lord. But if you trust him, then you will have joy proportional to that trust. If you trust your job more, you're going to have joy or happiness proportional to how well you're doing your job. Or happiness proportional to how much you're not doing well in your job. Same thing about your gifts and your abilities. I would argue probably most of our life, we walk around with a tablet trying to assess how well I'm doing based on how my gifts and my abilities and my talents. And if I'm adding up, I'm feeling pretty good. But most of us, throughout our, the scope of our lives, somewhere, we know deep down that we're not enough. That our gifts and our abilities are not enough. And I would argue as long as you're looking to your gifts and your abilities, you're not going to be able to get joy. Because why? Gifts are always limited. You shouldn't look to your gifts. Because if you want, if I wanted to be a gifted speaker, I know for a fact there's other gifted speakers better than me, one of which happens to be in my family. If, if I want to be talented, I live in New York City, there are so many more talented people in this, in, in this town than I am. But see, delight is different. When you delight, a, a heart that delights, that's filled with love, that can actually change the world more than your gifts. A gifted person can be a real jerk still. But somebody, let's say you're not gifted. If you're an ungifted parent who delights in the Lord, you're going to be able to love your child better than a gifted parent. If you're an ungifted uh, uh, artist, you're going to be able to delight and be filled with joy. You're always going to be employed to show joy and love to other people. This is what's so fascinating about this, that it's so hard because our world is, is based off of the gifts and the talents, and yet there was a pastor I knew who was one of my mentors. Um, this is years and years and years ago. He was a terrible leader. He was the most disorganized person, and yet all of us just wanted to sit at his feet because he was one of the humblest and most loving individuals I, we ever, I ever met. And I just, the joy just seeped out of him, and he just wanted to soak it up. He wanted to be around that. And so I would argue you can't delight in the Lord unless, if you're trying to delight in something else. The most gifted person in the world that doesn't have love will not change anyone. But if you delight in him, I don't care how ungifted you know you are, I don't care how ungifted you don't know you, that you are, you will be able to, through the delight and through the joy, change not just those around you, but be agents of change that will spill out in justice and service. Same thing about Jesus, right? Jesus didn't just love, uh, he didn't just do justice out of justice, he did justice out of the love 
for others. Now, some of you push back and say, okay, fine, but how do I, how do I actually get delight in him? And the simple answer is, his delight in you. I mean, the father in, in, in um, Blood Diamond delighted in his son. And when he saw, when the son saw how much his father had come through death to find him, that's when he could actually feel, be able to be accepted back in. That you will be able to delight in him to the degree that you see his delight in you. And that's why, look, go back to verse 7. There's all this sh- talk about shame and disgrace. You're going to need to go into the wells of your heart, the spaces you've hidden from yourself and others, the shame and the guilt and the hurt and the disgrace. And you're going to need to see the Lord seeing those things and still opening arms to you and saying, come on home. Or even better, him coming after you to say, you are my son, you are my daughter. I, del- I still delight in you, and then you will delight in him. All right, last step, step two. Be clothed. Look at verse 10. I delight in the Lord, right, in verse 10. But why? Why? For, my, for he has clothed me with garments. A couple weeks ago, I was texting Bruce, uh, our um, associate pastor. We were talking about sports, and we were talking about the character of some, some people in sports. And I was like, I was kind of questioning that character, and, and Bruce texted back. He said, I believe in redemption and that people can change. And he'd been saying that in different spaces to me for the past couple months. And it's such a simple statement, but it's actually profound. It's the gospel. I think actually one of the problems we have is we don't think people can really change, and therefore we don't think we can really change. But if you believe in redemption and that people can really change, even though we've all failed, even though we deserve all these, other, these ashes, this is saying, guess what? You don't dress yourself, right? Notice it says, he's clothed me. You can't clothe yourself. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, stepping, out, by the way, I'm stepping out in faith right here because I'm not a very fashionable person. But um, fashion is a taking clothing and it's about expression, right? What's cool about fashion is uh, clothing isn't just functional, it's expressive. When I'm not wearing this, I tend to wear uh, gray New Balances. What am I saying when I wear gray New Balances? I'm probably saying at least two things. One, at one level, I don't care. <laughs> and I like to be comfortable. But I'm saying, I'm, there's something I'm saying with those. There's something that you're saying with your clothing as well. But if we're being clothed by him, and we take on that expression, first question is, first, is, first of all, will you let him clothe you? Or are you hell-bent on clothing yourself? When my kids tried to clothe themselves growing up, it was always a disaster. But if you let him clothe you, you let that expression come off. It says in verse 10 here, you're going to look like what you would look like at your wedding. Right? There's a bridegroom and a bride. I, when I do weddings, I always tell people, best, guess what? You look the best you're ever going to look. It's all downhill from here. I'm so sorry. But it's true. They look the best. And that way, this is saying you're going to look your best with him clothing you. And the question is, are you going to let yourself do that? Will you? What if this Christmas you allowed the joy of Jesus not be an intellectual thing, but if you let that delight permeate your heart out into the world, it would be a dress. It would be slacks. It would be a type of wear that would heal the world and heal yourself because of what this joy would do and spread. Um, I saw a video a couple weeks ago uh, about um, somebody went to a uh, retirement home in, in Florida, 
found an 85-year-old man and just said, hey, you want to go to Disney World for the day? And the guy was like, okay. And so the video just shows this 85-year-old and, and this person going around Disney World, and at the end, he has tears in his eyes. He goes, I, I, I had so much joy. I can't believe how fun this was. I thought my life was over. I was just there, but you've, you've brought new love in my life. Now, I actually think the person did that so that you would subscribe to them and watch their other videos. So I'm not sure how much it was really altruistic, but I would argue you can go do the same thing. You can go live joy like this for this other person out in the world because now that's our purpose in life. Not to take, but to give. Not to desire or acquire, but to live like our Lord who loves people, who loves everyone. I think that's what the Christmas uh, spirit is about, but it's actually what Jesus is about. And if you love Jesus, you'll be about it as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I pray that you let, I pray that we delight in you. <laughs> whether we've lost our voices, whether we've lost our hope, I pray that we would delight in you. Father, Christmas is about joy. You're about joy. This whole passage is about joy. I, Father, I pray that we will rejoice. It comes ma mainly through delighting in the one who delights in us. Father, we've forgotten that delight. I pray we would re reignite it. If we've never felt that delight in our lives ever, I pray that we would search for it, that we would see it, see it through the promises, through, see it through the glimpses of ways that you've entered into this world to heal it, mostly through your son, Jesus Christ. Pray all things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.